Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategies built to make strategy work for small to medium businesses and organizations by helping them design world-class strategic plans, but more importantly, keep them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. This is a very special episode we had. This is a part of our spirit of giving. As we talk, as you know, we give generously 10% of our revenues to charitable organizations and Homeboy Industries happens to be one of them. Rick Jones in particular, he gave us a tour of Homeboy Industries. Our family and some of our friends were able to walk through and have this incredible experience. And through Rick's connection, he helped connect us to our guest today, who is Tom Vazo. Tom is the author, speaker. He's a Fortune 200 executive turned nonprofit at and the CEO of Homeboy Industries. This is the largest rehabilitation a re-entry organization in the world. He's been uh, had the opportunity to be asked by Father Greg Boyle to become the first ever CEO of this organization. And as somebody who's been there personally, it's such a remarkable place. And we'll talk more about that later today. And Tom was also the CEO most previously of Airmark, which is a $1.8 billion organization. And he has had many other experiences that. But with that, Tom, let's go forward and start talking to you. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast today. Carl, good to be with you. And I'm happy that you had a chance to take a tour of Homeboy and feel the, the vibe and the love that, that everyone else feels as they walk through our buildings. Absolutely. So Tom, let's let's start from the, from the beginning. For those who aren't familiar with Homeboy Industries, give us that, you know, 30, 60 second, maybe two minute pitch of what do you do and, and why do you do it? Yeah, Homeboy Industries, we're a nonprofit organization uh, based here in Los Angeles. We're about 35 years old. Uh, we're essentially a human services organization, and our core competency is about helping men and women leave gang life behind. Uh, we were founded by a Jesuit priest, Father Greg Boyle. <clears throat> 35 years ago, his first stop as a parish priest was in Dolores Mission, at the time one of the poorest parishes in the whole Archdiocese of Los Angeles, also as the epicenter of gang violence, and he wanted to figure out a way of how do, you, how do you help these young men get out of gang life? And hit upon this very simple, obvious notion that if you can get them enough money to meet the basic needs of food and shelter, that they're not going to go running with the gang to make that money for, for those, meet the, the basic needs. And so from there, uh, he started a jobs program and eventually morphed into having their own set of social enterprise businesses. So now here we are 35 years later, we're, uh, we're a $40 million organization, uh, we have social enterprise businesses, but fundamentally what we're about is helping gang members leave gang life behind by healing. We allow them to heal. All our folks are victims of complex trauma. And I say this with emphasis because like, I, I worked in the business world for a lot, a lot of years, knew nothing about gang life and why people join gangs. But all our folks are second, third generation gang members, jumped in a gang at a young age, forgotten by their family and thinking that the gang was their family. False hope, go into prison, they come out of prison, they don't want to go back to gang life. And so we help them provide structure, 
provide resources and really provide healing to people. And it's been a tremendously successful organization over these 35 years. And, and really for the second chapter of my life, I, I feel so blessed to be part of Homeboy Industries. So Tom, we're, let's first just talk about the business side, which is just, a, you know, I understand a small piece of really what Homeboy Industries is all about. But behind you in the picture that you have that there were, for those who are watching on YouTube right now, you'll see that uh, there's the Homeboy Cafe that's right in front of there, but there's much more than that uh, that's in that building. So, but there's more than just the cafe itself. So go through the different enterprises that Homeboy has, which enables former gang members to actually have occupations and jobs so they can start earning money and start living a different life. Yeah. So um, really, I, mean, I want to shift your question a little bit. So the, the business model of Homeboy, right? Yes, uh, please. So people walk through our doors. Again, they get out of the prison and jail system. They don't want to go back running with the gang, but they don't know how to get out of that situation. So people voluntarily walk through our doors. They ask for help. Uh, we go out of our way. You know, Father Greg has taught us to provide some type of tangible help right away. Because all their lives, whenever our, whenever the population we serve has tried to reach out for help, they've been told to wait in line, not good enough, go, go to this department, go to that department. And so we, it's like, no, no, we're going to do all we can to sort of create that positive attachment uh, right away. So people come in uh, to Homeboy, not sure how to move their life forward, have never worked before in their life, but want to change not just for themselves, but for their children. And so people part of Homeboy for an 18 month process, it's, it takes that long to sort of get stable enough to go back out into society. But really when people first come in the door, what makes us very different is we actually pay them in a sense. We give them a grant and we give them money for food and shelter. And really what they're doing is they're, going, they're seeing their case manager, they're getting anger management treatment, substance abuse therapies, getting their tattoos removed off their face, and it's it's about forming positive attachment with people around them. And then a little bit, as you see the windows behind me, they're they're sweeping floors and washing windows. But we also recognize people need structure in their life. And so we do have these social enterprise businesses like our homeboy bakery, homegirl cafe. We have about 10 social enterprise businesses. But think about what our business model is about. It's helping people leave gang life behind and heal. There's nothing better then go think about our homeboy bakery. We make artisan bread, hand roll bakery. There's nothing better than two guys from rival gangs standing shoulder to shoulder, rolling dough, knowing they have to get a certain amount of rolls made that day. That breaks down the barriers of where they came from and actually starts, people start seeing, seeing each other as individuals and as someone you can care for and respect and have a relationship with. So fundamentally, what our social enterprises are there to do is, is to really provide that work structure so that then we help people heal in life. So really all our social enterprises, if you think about it, we don't hire homies to bake bread, we bake bread to hire homies so we can provide those job opportunities. And so while we feel we have great bread and terrific food in our cafe and we have electronic recycling company, it is really about providing, having a business provide a structure of a quality job so that people can move their life forward while they're healing and trying to get out of gang life. And I can attest to it is great, a bakery and great food at the cafe. So I've been able to experience both of those. But I think it's really important what you said there is this is this is a means, right, as an opportunity to help provide structure and a, and a way of, for probably many of them, getting an honest 
clean first job, so to speak, right? Absolutely. You know, they're not getting it through their their means that they felt like they had to when they were in a gang environment, right? Where the only means was to help provide and help provide for that structure. So I, I first want to talk about something that you said, I think your eyes lit up when we were prepping, talking about this call. And I, I want people to listen to this really carefully because I, I don't want to understate this in any way. I don't think you could overstate what I'm going to say. I walked into the place and once again, I, I don't mind saying, you know, I'm Caucasian guy walks in. I don't have eight, any tattoos walk in to the place. And there are former gang members who some of them still have, you know, tattoos and different things look, you know, different races, different complexions, but they're coming up, welcoming me, hugging me, sharing jokes there is a sense of love and peace there that frankly i don't even experience when i walk into churches often it, it it was remarkable i mean it was remarkable it was palpable the the literally the love throughout and it was throughout the entire because we got to walk through the entire building we walked in the inside the outside and just people shaking each other's hand and hugging and caring for each other how does that work how 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 do you get a group of people to have such joy? Yeah, listen. I mean, I, I appreciate how you frame that up. Um, it's true. Uh, anybody who's listening is please come visit us and experience experience that for yourself. Uh, I just want to comment a couple of things, and I'll I'll get to your question. You know, I think what's amazing about it is, um, listen. So people walk through our doors or talk about our trainees, our homies. They want to leave gang life behind. Uh, but as they walk through those doors, um, they recognize that in some ways we're a sanctuary, that we're a safe spot for them, that when they're out on the streets and they're running with the gang or trying to avoid the gang, viral gang, uh, rival gangs, they have this armor, uh, emotional armor. But when they walk through those doors, they can just be like themselves and normal. And they revel and being being at ease. They revel on, I mean, there's humor, not like sarcastic humor, but like fun humor, twinkle in their eye humor about how they how they kid with each other, right? They they hug other people, hugs. But you know, in the corporate world, you don't get hugs. There's a lot of hugs at home, boy. And think about it, a lot of these folks never really had hugs in their life either. Someone actually really caring for them. And we're not talking staff hugging home, we're talking the, the trainees hug hugging themselves and thereby hugging, hugging staff. You know, there's an authenticity to our population that I find is pretty remarkable. And, uh, you know, there's no pretenses. You know, I thought a lot about this, uh, you know, middle-class, upper-class people have all these pretenses, all this sort of how I should act, how I should be. But the population we serve, they've had such a tough life. They've been demonized. They've been forgotten. They've been yelled at that when they're now among themselves, they just want to be who they are. And, and they're so trusting allow other people uh, as, as part of that. You know, and, and it's like this whole thing about, um, you know, the, the, the meekness of the, of the working poor and all that, but it's, it's about humility. And, and because people value it and care about that spirit so much, it's sort of self-perpetuating. And, uh, and they don't care if you come from a different race or a different uh, part of town. <laughs> you're a homeboy. You're, you're going to be part of the family. You're going to be treated part of the family. And so it's 
So as a former CEO type of guy, as I think about it, how do you kind of maintain that culture, which is inherent in your question? Um, and a lot of it is like self-perpetuating. The, the homies want to sort of have that um, vibe, that energy. Also, a big part of this is we're, we've worked very hard. Now, two-thirds of our management team are former clients. And so they know, they know what it's like to be that, that homie walking through the door for the first time. They're going to extend themselves. They're going to be gracious. They're going to go overboard with a no matter whatness to help somebody in some way and create that positive relationship. Yeah, it is. It, it is. Uh, I, I can't even explain it. I mean, I know I did try to attempt it, but it is. There was so much joy in it. And I did talk with a couple of, of those who were speaking. I asked them about what, you know, how what brings you so joy why you're so happy and they and they were able to say look you what i experienced they were going to their, their own personal experiences mm -hmm. was so difficult and i didn't like myself and i didn't like what i was involved with but i had to for survival right i had you know, they talked yeah, about different experiences of virus to the extreme that's right. That's right. And they're talking about their parents, you know, abandoning them or mm -hmm. you know, get beating them or whatever it might be, you know, uh, terrible environments. And then it it almost, I mean, I want to be super careful with this statement I'm about to make here, but I mean, it's like as close to like heaven on earth, like it feels like mm -hmm. when you're there. And, and what was so fascinating is there are people coming in and walking in and needing service for the first time. That's what it felt like. I was, you know, in that, that waiting open area room that sure. you have inside there. And, but you're serving them as quick as can be. One of the things that surprised me, you, let's talk, talk about, because it's so fascinating right now. Tattoos are such, well, they're mainstream now, right? Yeah, they're almost um, mainstream now, for sure. You know, it's, it's really become a, a normal thing. And, and I, I remember back in the day, you and I can remember Dennis Rodman when he was playing where he, yeah, oh my gosh, was, yeah. the, he was the, the isolated one. And now it's kind of common, right? People are wearing this. So let me ask the question, why is tattoo removal in today's day and taser? Why is that important? Why, are, why is that an important part of the process for some of them to... Yeah. So yeah, listen, so we, we don't take off all tattoos. We take off gang-related tattoos. Now we'll okay. take tattoos too, but it's mostly about gang-related tattoos and the signal it sends. Uh, not so much to guys like you or I who may hire them, but more that what it sends to rival gangs. Mm. And that becomes very dangerous to be going around town with tattoos still on. That can get you and your family in trouble. Listen, I, I can't tell you the number of Deaths we've seen, and part of, people part of the homeboy family who have changed their life, gotten out of gang life, but just happened to be in the wrong part of town at the wrong time, and they were recognized that they were in a gang. They're not a gang now, but they were in a gang, and they were murdered. It happens. So it's it's a two things. It's it's the it's about not advertising you've been part of a gang, but the other thing is. You're going to leave your gang behind. You got to take that tattoo off. It talks about the gang. So it's an emotional part of, of, of all that. Mm. Too. Um, so that's why they take off tattoos. But I want to go back. I, I don't I don't want to miss the point where you were just mentioning about, about the, the energy. So when our folks are telling their story and why they see the, why they have joy, it's because they feel seen for the first time in their life for who they are. 
right? And and, and here's here's my words. Now we've we've moved off of business to talk about uh, spirituality and and view. For all our folks, as I say, victims of complex trauma, they need to be healed. First part about healing, this is my interpretation, is they need to love themselves. And they start learning to love themselves when they realize God loves them no matter what. And when you and you can kind of see it, you can see that light bulb go off when people kind of realize that God loves them no matter what. Then they start loving themselves and then the joy comes to other people. It is a solid connection how that all happens. And so, yes. And so in many ways, not just you, I've heard other people talk about, if you're ever kind of missing God and can't see a God in your life, walk into Homeboy Interest and sit in that room for, for half a morning and you'll kind of see how that all plays out. Um, and so that's the, that's the specialness in Homeboy. And that's where me as a, look, I was a corporate guy, ran a $1.8 billion set of businesses, came with Homeboy with all the hubris of a CEO I've learned not so much to humble myself, but I learned to kind of go in with humility and because it's these folks are seeing something I never saw myself. And if I can bring some skills along the way to help the organization thrive, that, that's a good bargain in my sense, because I'm learning a lot more than I'm giving. Okay, let's let's talk. Um, one of the questions I always like to ask, of course, calling the Measure Test podcast is how are from from the side within and the organization how are you measuring success yeah so i'm going to give you two types of answers and <clears throat> the uh i'll eventually get to the answer as a as a former ceo <laughs> how to do that but uh the first type is like i'm going to kind of quote father greg i'm going to glibly say well well first of all we don't measure people we don't measure success but we know it's working because people keep showing up every day and more and more people show up than we can we can serve. Um, I'm, I'm going to do a little sidebar here. Uh, each week, about 15 people be interviewed to become part of our homeboy program, our paid program. Uh, right now, we have about 400 people we're, we're paying with grants to move their life forward. So 15 people interview each week. That means to get an interview, you need to be uh, uh, test drug-free, have been incarcerated, and have been gang-affiliated. And what we do is we, oftentimes I try to get on that selection committee myself. We, as we interview, we find out who needs us the most, right? Because right. we, we're here for the hardest of the hard cases, the ones that the county would leave behind. Uh, and so we're gonna help that person. And of that 15, we can only, the way the numbers work, only take two of that 15. And so, so many people need us. So, so we know we're working because people keep coming to us uh, uh, along the way. The other thing about measuring, you know, we don't use the word measuring um, concept. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll pick on how you said it. You know, again, people move their life forward when they, when they start loving themselves and they can then find joy through others, right? And see their own self-worth. You can't measure someone's self-worth. I mean, think about our business model. Our business model about helping people find their self-worth. You can't measure self-worth, right? You can't measure... Is your relation with God stronger than my relation with God? You can't measure your joy stronger than my joy uh, along the way, right? And so uh, that's really not in our, our sort of lexicon at Homeboy about measuring, measuring, measuring for success. Because in many ways, if we were just measuring for success, we wouldn't take the person least likely to succeed. We would take the person most likely to succeed. You think, mm -hmm. And this is one of the downsides of a lot of government contracts that have measurement for success in it. 
is that it forces the nonprofit organizations to take the post the person most likely to succeed because you want to have your numbers uh, look look pretty good. So that all being said, now the second part of the answer, the CEO guy, knowing that so much of our funding comes from donations and foundations that we need to report in to our to our funders as to how it's going. And so we report on uh, attributes, outcomes, not success. Uh, you know, you look at recidivism rate going back into the jail system under new charges. So a number of years ago, UCLA did a study which shows only 30% of our people go back in the jail system under a new charge. That is so, compared so favorably to 70% at statewide average in California. So we're two times more effective on the wow. recidivism rate. We know that it's about the other outcomes are family connectedness, reunited with the family, housing stability, being substance free. Uh, those types of things sort of di dictate the, the outcomes that will, will get us there. Uh, but that's, the thing about success, measuring success is sort of a, uh, we're kind of allergic to, to talking that way. Yeah. Well, I, I can understand why, right. And, and, but based on what you said, but when you are actively choosing to support and help those who are at most at need and, and, and for least likely to be able to help through other means, right. That, that is a calling right to be towards something like that because i loved it how you said that it's and i could i'm just thinking through all the different strategic planning and ideas because wh what do we talk about often well you got to do the pareto principle which means do the 20 percent of things that you're going to have the 80 percent of impact no 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 we got the opposite <laughs> exactly <laughs> you no. do the opposite yes right. right we help the individual like what you need today we're going to help you today i'm not worried about setting precedent that i got to do the same for the next person tomorrow because it's what you need today. And it's about helping the individual. And that's the that's one of the most remarkable things. If I contrast my life to the corporate world to now, it's it's understanding it's about the individual, not about the enterprise-wide uh, efforts. Right. Well, I love that. It's so powerful. And and it's again, I think it goes back to once again is why things are different with the culture there, why you feel it. I mean, you literally feel the experience of it and uh, and uh you know we we've read multiple books and i know you have a book that you recently came out with that you help kind of share the way and the how and why things are made different if you don't mind share a little bit about your book and and why you wrote it because it's not an easy effort to go through something like this yeah, sure. um you know, sh share with share with kind of the, the key why of what you uh, did the homeboy way and, and what was the purpose behind that yeah, so I've, I've, look, I've been a homeboy over uh, 10 years now. And uh, even early on when I was a homeboy, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, look, I I thought I was the catch me out before, you know, in my corporate life, very successful at all those measures, right? And just, I sort of made it in life, right? And so I uh, had this opportunity to volunteer a homeboy and I come in and Father Greg asked me to be CEO. It's going through another financial crunch. So I, another story, but I take a leap of faith and go for it. And, but in those first six months, I've learned so much that was sort of counter to what I would be thinking in the corporate world. And so, you know, we'd be, we'd be sitting with Father Greg and the other leaders, and we we have what's counsel, where, you in, where you're talking about helping individual people, what do they need to help. And I would listen to their story. I listened to how someone was in my old world, non-performer, sort of not showing up and doing all those things, right? And I'm thinking in my head, oh, here's how I would, you know, you know, deal with that situation. Then all of a sudden, Father Greg, something completely opposite. And my head was, was almost like, 
metaphorically turning, saying, really, why do that? Why do it that way? But we do it that way and it works, right? And so I sort of wrote the book. I started thinking early on to write the book, okay, what business lessons, what leadership lessons would I bring back to the for-profit world that I learned from working with gang members, right? And that sort of was the genesis of the book. As I started writing the book, I sort of, the second aspect of this book was for me, I found my own spiritual journey, whereas I was a pretty religious guy and a faith follower prior, but seeing how, as we talked earlier, how the homies find God and how that moves their life forward and their depth of understanding of God was pretty amazing. It, made, it pushed me to think, how do, I, how do I get on that same journey? And the third reason I wrote the book and was I'm really passionate about is more people understand need to understand how homeboy goes about the way it works and how to help people. So we've spent a good part of this talking about the vibe and the culture of homeboy and the joy. I'm saying to all the listeners, you can do that in your business too. It's not just about you need this, this Jesuit priest running this nonprofit organization to use these fundamentals. There is a way of helping people. And let me also let me say also this way. Listen, the poverty rate in America has been the same for 45 years, the same narrow band, 12 to 13%. As a society, we have not made an impact on changing the poverty rate in America. And as I take a step back and I see the people that Homeboy helps, the thousands of people Homeboy helps, they're not just poor, they're demonized and forgotten. And Homeboy has a way of helping them build resiliency, learn a job, go out into society, get a job, take care of their kids and have upward mobility. That's how you change poverty by creating quality jobs. And But there's a way of going about it. And so what I'm trying to say to and to me, since I believe strongly in the businesses, corporate world, come on, corporate world, let's help change the poverty rate in America. Let's help create more quality jobs. Let's say 15% of all your next year's hires are going to be from the working poor. Because how do you get the working poor to be middle class? You give them a good job. <laughs> do they want to be good workers? Yes. Do they have the ability to be good workers? Yes. It takes a way of actually... Uh, supporting that and providing services around that. But that's, you think about the homeboy businesses show, all our businesses, all the management team from frontline supervisors to leaders are all former clients. And we're running legit businesses, legit in terms of successful businesses at the way. So I'm trying to shine a light on There's a way, if you're if you're worried about um, sort of the society, have you, this improved society, hire the working poor. If you want to learn about how to kind of have diversity in your management team, learn the homeboy way. If you want to learn about how do you sort of grow people from being frontline supervisors to being leaders, go learn the homeboy way. So that's the that's an, that's really a big reason why I end up writing the book and, and spending that time. No, I love I love the you know two parts of the calling behind it. It's, <clears throat> I was working with an organization recently and and they were talking about for lack of a better term, being more diverse. Right, so so they they want to, and they happen to be in a, a specific industry where there is very little diversity, frankly, just based on what their skill is and their attributes. And but it was interesting because initially they were doing it more from a compliance perspective, mm -hmm. sure. Right, but I I, I, I questioned, if you may, or at least challenge of of if 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 this is going to be strategic and important for this organization. Go all in. Yep. Right. You know, 
go all in, do, do this for the right reasons and, the, and for the right why. Otherwise, don't do it at all. If this is not going to be a strategic advantage for you, don't just do it because you feel like you're supposed to, right? Understand the values and the benefits of having people with different perspectives and different views and different ways. And then also see the opportunity of helping to get somebody out of their cycle, right? Out of their cycle of poverty. I came from poverty myself and, and nothing like once again, mm-hmm. where the individual, there's such a different <laughs> variance, right? Of, of those who come from poverty or not. But wow, how can we help? That's the best way, right? If we can help them get into organizations, but this is the, I'm going to flip back again. Mm-hmm. You have an organization and they believe, once again, they want to have this great culture and they want to hire a players as an example. But they're bringing in somebody who, if for lack of a better term, is hard hardened mm-hmm. and has a whole different view of the world and life. What things have you learned to help somebody who has that tough upbringing and in different values to help them embrace perhaps a new culture and a new organization where they're doing things well, right? But it's it's so different from where they've come from. So they don't just rebel, right? Because the natural thing, yeah. like a lot yeah. of times they're just going to come in and, and reject it. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I want to flip your flipped question on his head again. Please, please do. <laughs> so um, there's a couple of things I want to say about this. <clears throat> the So I, I took the last part of the question was, how do you help that person who had that heart in life to sort of integrate with this other organization, right? Uh, my message is, right? That's that's the way most society has always been set up. I'm trying to get the message to the organization to change their culture, to be more supportive, and to be more accommodating to somebody who doesn't necessarily have fit into the organization. So let me give you a, a story that kind of a little bit brings that to life. So um, at Homeboy Industries, we have, as I mentioned, uh, our our social uh, enterprises are baked artisan-made bread. Uh, we deliver to restaurants around town, but we also deliver the farmers markets. So I remember early on at my time at Homeboy Management by walking around. I'm walking through the businesses, uh, and I walk through the bakery. And over here, uh, George, one of our best farmers market sales guys, the homie, talking to the manager, asking for the weekend off. Now you can imagine farmers markets weekends are the busy time. It's hard to take off the weekend. And so I'm trying to be, you know, walk around. So I'm talking to George after he, he talked to the manager. Hey, George, what are you doing? How's it going? I'm sort of being light about it. And he, and he looks at me and says, I'm reporting in. And so what's that mean? He says, I'm reporting in for the weekend. He's going, he's reporting to jail for the weekend because when he came out of prison, he had debt. He had not just restitution charges, court charges, parole charges. People come out of prison with all sorts of debt. It's crazy to think for society to think that people can leave the prison system and make money right away to pay off their debt. At this time in LA County, you can report into county jail and burn off the money you owed by days in jail. And so I walked away from that conversation, like pretty amazed that, oh my gosh, he's doing it the right way. He's trying to, he's, he didn't go back to his homies to borrow money. He didn't ask us to borrow money. He didn't illegally get money to pay off his debt. He's doing it the right way. And so all weekend I was thinking about it. Come come Tuesday, go see him again. I make a beeline to the bakery. See him, hey, George, how'd it go? And he looks at me and says, oh, I can tell the stress in his face. And what happened was he has custody of his 10-year-old and six-year-old. The person who was going to watch them 
because he can't rely upon his gang, can't rely upon his family. The person who's going to watch them didn't show up. He had to leave his 10-year-old and 6-year-old in his apartment for a long weekend while he's in jail. Imagine the stress as a parent that that, that gives you. I tell the story for two reasons. One is the one first is recognize the challenges for our people in our society, the working poor, the demonized, to try to do it in the right way is so high. That bar is so high. And two is not the judge, because all of us, I'm, right away I heard that I said, oh my gosh, why'd you do that? Couldn't you figure out some other way? Can you borrow money? No, you don't judge. I tell the story because if a company is going to take a hire a person who doesn't necessarily fit into the culture, recognize that that person is going to have challenges that just are different from the challenges that the rest of the people in that culture have. And that to do a good job, you got to provide more of a, a support structure around, right? And so that's the point of it, that culture needs to change. Now, the second thing I want to say, you asked me, nonetheless, I'll give you one more. So if, if you're trying to hire uh, the working poor and folks who've been previously incarcerated, I've noticed that, you know, in the in the regular world, you promote people, you, you look at somebody who has high potential, you, you bring, you sit them down, that's obviously, okay, Carl, you have good potential. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do these tasks for the next six months. And at the end of six months, you do those tasks well, I'm going to promote you up. I'll give you a little bit more money, right? And you're going to go off and work hard and make that happen, right? The population we serve, they they can't trust it. They've been told promises all their life that have never come through. Right. And just been disappointed upon disappointed. So they're not going to move a muscle if you lay it out that way. If you do this for six months, you'll be promoted. So in some sense, I recognize you have to promote people like based on their potential beforehand. Give them that promotion. Tell them what you expect out of the job and the money and pay them up front. Right. Give them the money up front. They feel validated. They feel seen. And then they're going to run through a wall for you and they're going to they're going to do those tasks. Yeah, really well. So it's a it's a different mindset, and you have to think about managing and, and creating these people in a much different way. Hey, so I, one more question before the the important was how can we how can those in the audience help support Homeboy? And I'm curious from your own life of from habits and, and things have changed. Cause you, once again, you had, and I don't want to talk about that your old life, so to speak, as a CEO of a large corporation. How have your daily habits ha changed from then to now? Maybe they haven't at all. I'm kind of curious. And how do you help make sure that you come in when you walk in the doors each day, that you have the right heart, you have the right leadership to do what you need to do to help carry out, make a difference? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me say that, uh, how, how I think about that. And let me also, let me first by saying, um, this job as CEO, like I started, it was a $10 million organization, and now we're a $40 million organization. The size doesn't matter other than that we've helped that many more people, right? It's the most stressful job I've ever had in my whole life, right? Because I know the cost of failure is huge. We're a nonprofit that gets most of its money from donor support in, our, in the businesses and very little from government. And so, you know, if in a year, if we raised a million dollars less than we projected. I know I got to vet. I can't serve as many homies and trainees. And I know if I'm not serving them, they're back on the street running, doing violent crime, and they're back in the jail system. So the cost of failure is high. Right? And I only say that to contrast it to, you know, as a corporate job and corporate CEO, 
You have a lot of resources at $1.8 billion. You have shareholder pressure and all that. Uh, but there's, without a doubt, there's more joy in my life now than it was before. And I love my prior life. I, I'm a committed capitalist. That, that, all, that all worked. Um, but a key part is, is the difference. So what my routine is now, I, so each morning I wake up, I do my readings, I meditate, I contemplate, I pray, right? Uh, and that sort of helps me find balance. But the thing is, about four or five years ago, something clicked in my brain, and I, through the help of Father Greg, right? Uh, I it's always stressful. Running homeboy has always been stressful. We go payroll to payroll. We didn't have extra money in the bank, and so I would uh, be super stressed out to the max. Did we raise enough money, or we're talking to enough people? And you get to the end of the year and we finally make it. We have $50,000 in the bank, but you feel like you've made it, right? At the end, then the cycle starts up again. Um, that so this one year is a really hard year. It's hard to find money. And I almost got, I almost took on the pressure of the job too strongly. Every interaction I had, whether it was friends or family or associates, it would always, through the lens of, are they giving homeboy enough? <laughs> and it's almost like I'm judging. I'm not living the homeboy values at that point. Right. And and so uh, at some point, so I had this nice uh, dialogue with Greg, email dialogue, like pen pal type thing, because it happens when we travel. Uh, and I got to the point of understanding that uh, it's about finding joy. And, and, and Greg say, said something to me that was so sort of profound that it's not yeah, my joy, yours, your joy complete. And once you decide to find joy through others, and that's what your goal is each and every day. All those stressors become so secondary, right? That before it was those, that was my goal every day. Now, if I, if my mindset is finding joy through others and my faith tells me it's about not just believing in God, but doing something with action to help people. And so I combine helping people with finding joy through others that makes a world of difference in your mindset and you can take on any battle, any stressor along the way. Because if you stay focused on those two aspects, it, it all works. And so that's why I feel so blessed to have this chapter in my life where I've learned that and I feel it and I experienced that. Uh, and I just wish everybody, I wish I knew this back in my corporate life. And I think that would have made a difference along the way. That is great wisdom right there, man. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and I hope once again, those who are listening, I hope this is really compelling you uh, to understand what an extraordinary organization Homeboy is. And so now it's the ask, and I don't mind saying this, as part of, once again, our corporate giving, we give regularly to Homeboy Industries. Um, Tom, how can people donate towards Homeboy, number one? And number two, what are, once again, are those funds, how do they know it's being done for the right reason. And, and this is a great contribution to make. Well, yeah, I'll answer the second one first. Look, look, all our money, like we raise, um, now we raise $40 million a year. It goes straight to the mission. Uh, we're very efficient in how that happens. Um, it, it's, it, let me, if you didn't ask you this, let me, let me say it this way. I, I come out, like a lot of times I come at these things from a stone mindset of a CEO, right? a business guy from the, from the corporate world, right? And so, uh, you know, there's this concept in society, whether it's middle class or upper class concept of, you know, money doesn't solve people's problems. But you know what? For poor people, I'm here to say money does solve problems for poor people. A lot of what we do is we sort of get money. If you're unhoused, if you don't have clothes, if you don't have food, 
those are the basics. So we spend a you know, huge amount of our resources that we raise to just get money to people who need it to stabilize their life so they can move their life forward in a, in a, in a positive way. And so the ask is go to humbleindustries.org. We have a good web page. Please, please donate along the way. You know, we're a $40 million organization. 25 million comes from donations, 10 million from, from business revenue and 5 million from, uh, from government. But so there's two asks. So definitely financial support is needed. But the other thing is, you know, this is why I sort of wrote the book. You know, uh, what I learned at Homeboy is, and this is what Greg talks about all the time, is like when we when we move ourselves to be in relationship with people on the margins of our society, it's amazing how that relationship changes for both people in a, in a positive way. And so, uh, you know, for all of us, get out of our comfort zone, go be with people who aren't like us. <laughs> and, and it's not about telling them what to do. It's just about being in, in relationship to them. And uh, and that's, your life will be dramatically improved. Tom, thank you so much for sharing about Homeboy Industries today. I just, so wonderful to hear about the story once again that you've shared and also how your life has been changed that you've talked about you know how how you've been transformed through this process i think that's absolutely remarkable so thank you so much once again for being a guest on the measure Sess podcast today thank you for having me and to everyone else who's listening once again i encourage you to go out and and truly give this is making i i can i've been there in person and i could tell you what what tom is doing what the people throughout the organization, the homies themselves, it is a true working functional way to help make a difference in people who need it, absolutely need to help make a change. And then their lives get changed, which is just, that is what's so wonderful. And then I, once again, I encourage you, if you happen to be down in the LA area, look them up, go down, have some bread, <laughs> have something in the cafe and, and take a tour so you can learn a little bit more deeper about what the organization is like. As we always like to say from our uh, from Measure Success podcast, wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.